This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And today we're talking about kanji. That's right, and we have a special guest. I'm excited. Yes. Kanji is also called juk in uh, in Cantonese. It's also called okayu in uh, in Japanese and other things in other East Asian languages because it is a rice porridge dish that is popular throughout East Asia. I am so excited to be talking about this. And I'm kind of stunned that it's taken us this long. Yes. I mean, we do say that every time. But yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> It's true. Oh, wait. I was going to say, should we begin on memory lane? But we have to remind people that our live show is next week. It's a week from from today. If you're listening on on Thursday, May 6th, we got a live show a week from today. That's Thursday, May 13th at 6 p.m. It's totally free. It's online. Go to bit.ly slash spilledmilklive21 because you do need to register in order to attend the live show. And it is a lightning round episode, which means we need lots of topics. So send them to Producer Abby by emailing topics at spilledmilkpodcast.com. One listener sent a topic directly to me and and I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> um, no. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't even understand what was going on. And I think I made them feel bad. But oh, I didn't mean to. I accidentally did that to a student of mine a couple weeks ago who registered through like an outside organization. Oh, okay. Emailed me, I think, thinking that I would know who they were. Anyway, I'm sorry, student who I haven't yet yeah. met. We have a lot of apologizing to do. God, so let's get back to the episode. Great. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so today we are talking about kanji. And I, I'm here for it. I mean, evidently, I'm here in my closet for it. That's right. So my my kanji memory lane, like the thing that I thought of this this is a dish that I haven't had very often. I want to talk about that with with our guest, who spoiler alert is going to be cookbook author and uh, magazine editor Hetty McKinnon. But I think it is a dish that uh, that kind of exists in a context uh, like you know within the cultures where it's enjoyed and like hasn't yet come along with other dishes from those cultures across the world as much as like stir fried dishes or braised dishes or fried dishes because it is, you know, it's something that's often a breakfast dish. It's something you often eat uh, like when you're not feeling well and Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like soft and comforting. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's generally not billed as like, you know, this is, this is going to be like a, you know, you know, hit you in the mouth with flavor kind of dish. It it serves a different function most of the time. So what I remember my memory lane is uh, a few years ago when I was uh, spending a week in Hong Kong, with teenager of the show December, who is not yet a teenager. We'd been uh, eating in uh, in Hong Kong for a few days, and like I got to a point where I was like, kind of like homesick, and like you know, you know, cranky, s- cranky, single parenting uh, for for a few days. And I was like, I just want, I want breakfast and like, I'm sort of tired of going out to eat and I just want something super like warm and comforting. And so we went to a place around the corner and I had congee for breakfast that I think just had like some mushrooms and scallions and, uh, and soy sauce that I drizzled on and, uh, I burned my mouth on it. It's usually served <laughs> super hot, but I remember it really well. It's like, oh, this was exactly what I needed. And then did you stop being a, a cranky single parent? Did you mean 
meet someone Let's, that day and stop being single? Is that what happened? Yes, that was uh, we had a, a con, there was a kanji meet cute. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, there's like a, a little, little whirlwind romance. Uh, gosh, I hope wife of the show, Lori, doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> okay. Well, um, Matthew, I dare say, I think I've eaten even less conchi than you have. Not by my own choice, you know. I, I would like to eat more <laughs> Oh, congee. someone's been preventing you from eating it? <laughs> uh, no. The first time I remember having kanji was actually very recently. Um, I think it was in 2016. I was in a town just outside of Toronto for a couple weeks. I was teaching writing there. And I had a weekend off, and I went into Toronto, and someone who I knew through Instagram but had never met, Emma Waverman. Shout out to mm-hmm. Emma Waverman, who is a food writer. I think she's also on TV in Toronto. Anyway, she invited me to stay at her house. And her mother, Lucy Waverman, is like a, a very well-known food writer for a long time now in Toronto. Oh, that's cool. And anyway, so... These two generations of Wavermans, Lucy and Emma, took me out for dim sum in Toronto. Oh, my God. I Well, for one thing, even though my dad's from Toronto, I've spent so little time there. And oh, I love Toronto. It's so great. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, we went to this place that's sort of their usual dim sum spot. And um, I was happy to have them do all the ordering. I distinctly remember, I think the thing I remember most vividly from that morning was the kanji, which I, of course, spooned some chili oil into. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my God, it was just so good. It was also, like, November, so it was really cold outside. Oh, my God, it was delicious. Do you remember, like, what other flavorings it had? You know, I don't. I don't. I really don't. Um, I think that there was meat in it of some Mm -hmm. sort. I just remember being I, I remember feeling so cared for honestly yeah yeah you know being away from home for two weeks in the winter yeah it, it was delightful oh my god I don't know why I didn't like come home and learn how to make it immediately yeah but it's not hard to make no and we're going to yeah. talk more about that today absolutely so um let's talk about the word a little bit because I want to ask our, our guest about this for sure because I feel like the word kanji it has kind of a kind of a ring to it that I don't like, but I don't know if if that's something that I'm bringing to it or if the word is like sort of falling out of favor. Interesting. Um, okay. Like it comes from from Tamil via Portuguese, but like more often, like when I hear Wait a uh, minute. food writers, yeah, it comes from Tamil. Yes. So it it the, wow. the word itself has has kind of a wild history. I didn't want to get like too into the et- etymology segment this week. You mean you're not going to be Mister Etymology? Uh, right, right. Today? Oh yes, the horse. Yes. I forgot it was. I forgot it was a horse that teaches you <laughs> word origins. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, no, no, I get it. I mean, I-, I was very surprised to see here on the agenda that it's from Tamil because. I don't know. I just thought that it was going to be from Cantonese or I don't know. Right. No, no, that would that would totally make sense. The reason I'm not sure about like where the word stands now and like where it's going is because it's kind of an outsider word for yes. this dish. It's not okay. a, it's not a uh, native language word. OK. Um, you know, so in, in uh, Cantonese and then also in Korean, it's called juk, uh, which I'm probably getting the tone wrong because okay. uh, Chinese is tonal. It's also can be called jo. Uh, in uh, in Chinese, okay. Um, the Chinese character from it, I, I think I'm going to try and find a way to put this in the in the episode description. It has a really striking Chinese character that's sort of like the character for rice between the two of the character for bow and arrow. Oh wow, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean oh, the, the the bow and arrow part. I don't I don't think has has like a semantic meaning. It's just for for uh, to indicate the how it's pronounced. But like you know, you'll see a kanji shop and it'll have this character like a neon in the window. Mm-hmm. And I my sense is that even if you don't read Chinese characters, this would be a character that would be very easy to learn to recognize. Yes. I just think it has a really cool look. It's really striking. Yeah, but people like in Hong Kong English, the word the word kanji still seems to be really really common. Uh, as I mentioned in in Japanese, it's okayu, and it's uh, 
it's a it's a dish that I've had in Japan. Like there, it's it's hard to say like in in Japanese cooking like where the line is between okayu and uh, and rice dishes where you kind of like stir some rice into like the the dregs of a hot pot until the rice kind of dissolves, which mm. is so good. So that, that's that's called uh, zosui or ojia, depending on the texture. Cool. So you know, at its most basic, this dish is a, a rice porridge that's yeah. typically made from leftover rice. Yes, um, it can definitely be made with uncooked rice, and sometimes is, but leftover rice is most common, I think. And it's it's typically flavored with with salty or otherwise highly seasoned ingredients because you know rice itself. Well, God, it lends itself to strong seasonings yeah and like it it doesn't have to be seasoned that way it's just like you know typically there'll be like some salted nuts or uh, or scallions or soy mm-hmm. sauce or like little bits of seasoned meat or mushrooms and it's common throughout east asia i mean i i really think of it in uh chinese cooking and in korean cooking but it's it's common throughout east asia right yeah no like i I learned, like, you know, a friend of the show, Pai Lin, has, has a Thai kanji mm. recipe um, that, uh, like, I sort of knew that it was eaten in Thailand, but didn't really, hadn't, haven't had the Thai version. But, like, you know, off, you know often it'll be uh, flavored with fish sauce, of course. Is there sort of, like, so, you know, I'm thinking of it among other, like, food for ailing people, right? I'm thinking yeah. of, like, uh, you know, like, chicken noodle soup. Is there, like, a basic flavoring combo that, uh, like, is sort of the, the baseline? line like for kanji i don't know the answer like oh, it's, well, it's usually Eddie. yeah let's ask our guest like i think it is usually made with stock although it can be made with water i keep saying over and over like you know it can be made this way or it can be made this way like it's it's a very basic preparation that can go like a wide variety of different directions including like how much water to rice you use is like kind of the most fundamental decision about how you make kanji Okay, I imagine it it affects everything in terms of like texture and I don't know, maybe it affects flavor too. I have no idea. Yeah, like I think I feel like the most classic Cantonese version has like a little uh, seasoned ground pork and uh, some uh, century egg or thousand year old mm-hmm. egg. Mm-hmm. Have you had thousand year old eggs? I haven't. Oh, they're really good. They're what I wish a uh, hard boiled egg always tasted like. Remind me uh, of the preparation. So they're like preserved in like an alkaline medium until until uh, the interior firms up and turns kind of black. Uh huh. And uh, so they're they're a dish that you know when you when you see it for the first time you're like oh this is this is going to be very challenging if mm-hmm. if I didn't grow up with it but actually it's not at all mm-hmm. it's just it's just they have they have an unusual look as far as eggs go and uh, but the the flavor is very you know comforting and soft. What is the flavor like? Is it does it get much flavor from the alkaline solution that it's in? No, or is it, it really doesn't. With... It it just it it tastes like it it doesn't have like a, a a flavor that's really like separate from egg. It's it's really about like you know eating eating an egg, but uh, but with a special like very smooth texture. Mm. Okay. All right. I'm sold. It's, you know you know what it's sort of like. It's sort of like a uh, like a sous vide egg. I was going to ask if it was that same kind of like whatever it is that happens when the the proteins in the white very slowly solidify, yeah, you know, making that like really silky texture. So that's great with kanji. And I can imagine how good that would be in this like piping hot porridge. And I imagine that kanji like oatmeal probably stays hot for an eternity. Uh huh. (laughs) Yes. I made some the other day and... I'm like, okay, like I know every time I've had this in the past, I burned my mouth on it, but now I'm like making it at home. Mm-hmm. I can let it sit. I'm not going to burn my mouth. And I let it sit as long as I could stand before digging in. And it was still, I've still burned my mouth. It was super hot. <laughs> I think, I, I think I read once read a Harold McGee article or, or like chapter from a book about like why some things take so long to cool down. And it has to do with like, you know, the flow, flow of heat within the medium getting interrupted by like chunky things. That was such a great explanation, Matthew. That's, no, that's a, I'm just reading from his from his chapter. It really you know, cleared it right up. For me. As verbatim from Harold McGee, like the great explainer of food science, said, "You know, I don't know. There's like some chunky shit in there or something. Why are you asking me this?" Okay, all right. Uh, let's let's wait for Hetty. We are joined by Hetty McKinnon, who is the author of Community, the editor of Peddler, uh, co-host of the House Specials podcast. And 
also author of the new book, To Asia with Love. That's why we wanted to have her on to talk about kanji this week. Hetty McKinnon, welcome to Spilled Milk. Thank you. What a pleasure to be here. And I'm so excited to talk about kanji. <laughs> I have one thing I want to say about To Asia with Love. Hetty, I love that, um, that it's all film photography in that book. Right. Yes, it's 100% film. Oh my gosh, it's it's so beautiful, and I loved what you wrote about choosing to do film photography and your dad's connection to film photography. And anyway, I just wanted to say I think it creates such a special feel to the book that is so perfect for the whole vibe of what the book is doing. And I just hope everybody will go out and pick up a copy. Absolutely, I did not know that about film photography, but I noticed the photos were beautiful. Yes. Oh, thank. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I really did want to create something that was like fully respectful of where I'm from and my culture. And I've never done, I, I've done some food photography for Peddler, the magazine, but in a commercial book, I thought no way a publisher is going to agree to this. But we have this great relationship and they just said, go for it, or we trust you to do it. So it felt like an experiment and I did back up everything with digital, but I ended yeah. up right. only using film. It really, I mean, as though, you know, your voice and the subject matter didn't already set it apart. I feel like the, the photography just makes it so warm. I just had to say, I really love that. Thank you. <laughs> the thing I noticed about the book, and I hope this is a nice thing to say about a vegetarian cookbook. I got about halfway through the book and like maybe more and suddenly realized, wait a minute, is this a vegetarian cookbook? Like, I didn't even notice that. Like, just <laughs> like every, everything was just incredibly appealing. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to cook this one. I'm going to cook this one. I'm going to cook yeah. this one. Absolutely. And I've always tried to do my books like that. Like, ever, ever, even since the beginning, like with community, I'd always ask my publishers, please don't put this in the vegetarian category. Right. I don't want it on the vegetarian shelf because my food is about inclusiveness. Like that is kind of the foundations of all my work in food is connecting people, bringing people together. The fact that it doesn't have meat is kind of just a moot point because right. um, I'm really trying to show people what they're getting out of this food rather than what they're losing. And I feel like sometimes the vegetarian tag just tells people you're actually going to miss out on something exactly. from the very yeah. beginning. God, that's that's very true. Well, I think it's perfect then that we're talking about kanji. Well, for one thing, we're really happy to be talking with you about kanji because Matthew and I, this is something that we both really want to learn more about. Mm -hmm. um, and also it's something that, you know, I think when both of us have eaten kanji, it's been with meat. So yeah. I'm really curious to learn more about it sort of outside of 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 that context. Yeah. Okay. So this is a dish. I mean, it's so fun because growing up, it was really one of the staple dishes that we ate. Like my mum would be, I have really vivid memories of her. Like when I was a little bit older, we'd be sitting on the couch and, you know, in the mornings we'd finish our breakfast or whatever. And she'd just look over to me and go, I want congee. I want juk today. So she would like rush into the kitchen and start getting everything together. So it's just such a it's just a staple in our house. So it's kind of um, strange to me that it's now quite a trendy meal. Like sure. people love to talk about kanji and all the ways of eating it. And to us, I could never have imagined as a 16-year-old that, you know, many decades later I would be writing a juk recipe and a juk recipe that's very different to the way my mother cooked it. And then it would be such a trendy recipe that, and it's been adapted like a million times. Like that's yeah. kind of wild to me to think about that. But I'll tell you a funny story because a lot of people talk about congee in the context that, oh, it's the dish my mum made when I was sick or it's what I wanted to eat to feel better when I couldn't digest anything. Mm -hmm. But in our family, it was really different. It was not a meal that was served when you were ill or sick. It was just something to satisfy a craving, really. And so to me, I don't have those memories of it as, mm -hmm. as something I ate only when I was feeling poorly. It was a meal that, this is a, always a very strange story I tell about this dish. My mum made juk when it was really hot. Okay. Right? So my mom's okay. like this really kind of typical, you know, Asian Chinese mother who believes in like a lot of Eastern medicine and a lot about, you know, the yin and the yang and balancing temperatures in the body. And so her belief, her very strong belief is that when it was really hot, 
the way to cool yourself down is to have a really hot meal or dish because that way your body can kind of sweat out all the heat that's in your body. So we ate a lot of congee when it was really hot (laughs) on hot summer days. I'm glad you mentioned that because we were Molly and I were talking about how like one of the things we think of when we th- when we think about our memories of eating kanji is that it is one of the hottest dishes, not in terms of chili, but in terms of temperature. That yeah, like it takes so long to cool served, down. Like, you have to like blow on it and wait, and you're going to burn your mouth anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, on a hot summer day, summer's coming up. You know, just. Make, make some congee. So do you, so you live in New York, right? I live in New York now, yes. Do you still make congee when it's hot outside? I kind of do, yeah. Yeah? I, I, I love yeah. it. And it's kind of one of those things that, you know, like they say, you know, you turn into your mother and you ne- never want to admit that at some point yeah. in your life. And then at some point you just go, you just kind of give into it and go, I have turned into my mother. I do believe all these weird <laughs> things that she would say. And they're, like, they're not weird. They are grounded in, in you know, rituals and, and sure. you know, mm-hmm. ancient traditions. But as a kid growing up in Australia, like I just wanted to be Australian. So everything she did was kind of weird to me. Um, But, you know, her congee was meat. I I ate meat until I was um, about 19. And before that, I had tried almost every meat under the sun. You know, we we grew up with, you know, a, a balanced diet, but, you know, always like with meat in things balanced with vegetables. Um, But when I decided to go vegetarian, she started making different versions of things that she cooked throughout her life. So the juk was one thing. There's many different versions of congee too. There's not just one. The staple one that we would eat maybe like at breakfast time or during the day, it's not something we eat at dinner. So it's more like a daytime dish. You know, that would be very flavorsome. And we didn't top it with a lot of things like I've done in this book. It would just be like cilantro and maggi seasoning. That was kind of the mm-hmm. staple. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were other versions of congee. Like so for, during celebrations, like Chinese New Year or birthdays, when we ate a lot of savory food, she would make what she would call bak which is a white congee, and it would be completely flavorless, so bland, oh, wow. and no salt. I would still put maggi in it, but she would kind of get mad at us because it's like that is meant to be the antidote to the all the big savory flavors that you're eating. So okay. it's almost like a palate cleanser. So would she she'd cook it in water as opposed to stock? Yeah, just water. Yeah. Wow. So it would be sort of serving the same function as, as steamed rice? Kind of, in yes. The meal? Yes. And like during typically those meals would not, there wouldn't be rice involved in those meals. So we would have, she would always make rice, but like Mm -hmm. not all of us would eat it because it would be typically a noodle, you know, kind of a noodle, noodle feast in the, on the table, um, dumplings and other kind of steamed glutinous, savory type dumplings. And then there would be the, the white congee as kind of a balance to all of that. So Mm -hmm. There are very many different versions of it. And I have to say, I've never really developed a really traditional <laughs> congee recipe. I yeah, how do you make all... yours today? So today I do two versions. One is really untraditional. It's made with brown rice and some quinoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I laugh because it's kind of like, it's <laughs> I feel like it's silly like, when I in context of like how the congee I grew up eating. But that's one version. It's brown rice. It it, it kind of cooks in the same amount of time. Like people have this perception of brown rice taking a really long time to cook, but it really doesn't. Well, yeah. I, I've always wondered when I see that written in cookbooks, I always feel like it's a vestige of like 1970s vegetarianism. Yeah. I've yes. never had brown rice take that long to cook or yeah. anything that felt notable. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, <laughs> one thing that I, I often do is I cook white and brown rice together. Mm-hmm. And once I put it on Instagram and people, it went people went crazy. They were like, this is not possible. You know, they take two different times to cook. Do you pre-soak your brown rice? And I was like, 
I don't do anything different. I just put them literally in the pot together, What you know, rinse the rice, and I cook it exactly the same, same amount of water, and somehow it works. I can't explain the science behind it, but it works. Anyway, back to the brown rice congee. Yeah. So that one, I will do brown rice, some quinoa, and I put lots of ginger, dried shiitake mushrooms, and my mom always used black-eyed peas in her... I noticed that in the book. I wanted to yeah. ask you about that. Yeah, she always put that in, and it was one of those ingredients that she had this kind of pantry and it had all her medicinal Chinese ingredients because we had like a medicinal like tong soup every night before dinner. And then I always remembered very vividly this kind of um, jar of black eyed peas. And she would put that in her congee um, to add a, a kind of sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. So now it's something I I really want in any congee I make is I want that black eyed peas. It's a really kind of memorable aroma to me. Like when I mm-hmm. when I cook black eyed peas, it really does remind me of my mum's kitchen. So I put that in there and then, you know, not much else. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. I will use stock. Sometimes I'll just use water. Certain Asian cultures cook more with stock um, in their yeah. congee, like a, a broth, like a flavoured broth. Often I'll just use water. And so that's one version. And then the one in the book is actually a leftover rice congee because congee does take two hours to cook, like a mm-hmm. good amount of time. Is that whether you use raw rice or leftover rice? Is it about the same? No. So raw rice is traditionally what's used, a very small amount of raw raw rice to a lot of liquid. And it will take about two hours to really break down. Okay. And it's also different consistencies. Some people like their congee really thick. Uh Um, almost like a bowl of rice that's just got a little bit of liquid in it. We traditionally ate one that was more kind of liquidy, so it would be cooked for a good two hours. But the one in the book is made with leftover rice and more rice, two cups of rice, of leftover Mm -hmm. rice, any rice that you've got in the fridge, and it cooks in about half an hour. So for Mm -hmm. me, it's just a little bit more friendly to, you know, a modern life where you're just got a lot on and it's also one of those ways to use up leftover rice you know yeah no that makes so. sense mm-hmm. no i'm glad you mentioned that like like it's it's a long cooked dish cuz what it, what it reminded me of is is polenta yes. and how like you know polenta both polenta and congee go through a phase where like you could eat it at this point but it hasn't reached its potential yet yes it's sort of like like an overcooked grain dish that then is going to like magically transform in like another 30 or 60 minutes of cooking into something perfect that's its own thing. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I think patience is one of those things we don't have a lot of in the kitchen nowadays, you know, because everything is like 30 minutes, five ingredients, right. 30 minutes. And I kind of love, I mean, even though I did do a leftover rice one in the book because I was like, you know, trying to show people all the different versions, um, I think that there is like real joy in really putting time in something and it's a really uncomplicated dish Mm -hmm. you just have to kind of trust time and your stove and let let it do its thing so that's like the joy in in a dish like this and also like lots of slow cooking too isn't it Mm -hmm. yeah Absolutely. I love the look of your everyday oil recipe in the book. And I feel like that is exactly the kind of thing that I want on kanji. Is that sort of the oil that you or the condiment? What condiment do you tend to reach for with kanji? I do put that on, on kanji. And when I, I developed the everything, what I now call everything oil, but in the you know years ago when I first developed that recipe, it was just the chili oil to me. Mm-hmm. So it's based on, it's rooted in like a Sichuan um, chili oil with a lot of uh, spices in there. So there's like cinnamon, there's star anise, which is a really evocative smell for me because it's just something my mum used a lot in all her cooking. And there's like a lot of aromatics. So it's just full of spice, but then there's a lot of aroma in there too. That's other things. So I did really develop this recipe to eat with congee, even though I didn't eat it growing up with congee it, we just mm-hmm. ate it very plain but now with some of the toppings that I've got particularly in the book they're kind of more modern approach to congee things that like kind of congee but like 
you know, made for my lifestyle. Yes, um, I noticed there's one with kale chips as yeah, a topping. Exactly. Oh, that's <laughs> which just, sounds really good. It's wildly fantastic because you've got this kind of kind of mellow. It's a mellow base congee, and then you've got this kind of the texture of that crunchy kale, and then the the, the chili oil on top of that, and it's just. It's just perfection. It's so good and comforting. But then I've got another one that's got, you know, mushrooms that have been pan fried with five mm-hmm. spice powder and tahini. And that is certainly not traditional. There's a lot of tahini in this book, but it's it doesn't deviate that far from tradition because there's you know, we, we eat a lot of Chinese sesame paste. Um, which is a, it's a slightly different flavor. It's more intense. Yeah. It's made from roasted sesame seeds. But it's hard to get, and I'm going to completely just say it's really hard to get. Even in my neighborhood, if I try and go out and find it, I can't find it, so I have to go to a specialty store. So with this book, I tried to really democratize some of the ingredients and just go, well, tahini is going to give you a pretty good result, not completely authentic um, or traditional, but you're going to get that flavor. So congee with tahini is quite good. (laughs) It sounds good. (laughs) I want, I want to ask about the what word we should be using to, to talk about this dish. Because when I when I was researching, like I learned mm-hmm. that kanji is sort of an outsider word for it. And you call it juk in the book. Yes. Do you, do you think that, uh, you know, people when talking about this dish uh, should uh, should use a more a more localized term? It, does kanji feel OK to you? What do you think? So kanji, I feel like, is an overarching word for all the different I don't know if this is true by the way this is just how (laughs) I perceive it yeah so I feel like there's many different versions of this dish across Asian countries I know that India has a version I actually have a t-shirt I should have worn it actually I have a t-shirt with all the different congees from all the different Asian (laughs) countries and uh, I can't believe I didn't wear it today but in you know in India it's called kanji like K A N J I I believe mm-hmm. that could be the wrong spelling. In Korean it's also called juk, but they often spell it J U K. I've always just used J you know juk like J double O K. That's how we say it in Cantonese. So there's many different iterations of it across Asia. So I'm just wondering whether kanji is used because it just is like this kind of overarching an umbrella um, term, sort umbrella of. term for all the different versions. I don't know if I'm the right person to ask whether that's correct or not. It's funny because in my the Australian version of this book, it's called kanji, but in the US version, I asked it to be changed to juk because I feel mm. like different countries are more advanced in the way certain foods are represented. And I really did feel like in America, when you say juk, people really know what you're talking about. I think I think that's true. That's true in New York. It it, I don't think it's true in every part of America. (laughs) Well, let's 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 try and get it that way. But but yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Step in the right direction. Yeah. What do you guys think, though, about the whole kanji versus juk? versus kanji. I don't know. I feel like it's something I'm I'm just starting to learn about. Like um as far as I can tell, like like linguists seem to agree that the word originated in Tamil and uh mm. and made it to East Asia via the Portuguese. Oh yes. And so so it's sort of it's sort of like a mix of like, you know, this this is this is a word that is used in uh uh, in South Asia, uh, but is not a word that is that's native to East Asia languages, and like so, it feels it feels like sort of a like middle ground. Like I I was not totally sure going to this episode. Like, is this kind of an okay thing to call this dish, or is it like a very sort of like outsidery term? But it sounds like it's kind of okay. Yeah, I'm not always like that <laughs> up with what's the correct. I just kind of like go yeah. with what I know. And mm-hmm. yeah, of course. People have asked me this before, but I've, yeah. I never know what the right answer is. Hedy, do you have any tips for improvising flavor combinations for juk? Do you like, for instance, you know, kale chips would be crunchy. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do, are you looking for different textures as well as flavors? I think it's a real personal journey, Jill. I mean, I, I do think <laughs> traditionally it's herbs on herbs on the top with, you know, some sort of, not even always soy sauce, but, you know, I really love Maggi on it. I'm, I'm obsessed uh-huh. with Maggi. And, and it's something that I kind of was ashamed of for a lot of my life because there are these ingredients where you just go, I don't think that's acceptable to put Maggi on things. And then I got to the point where I was like, 
I'm not going to be ashamed of these things that I loved oh, growing yeah. up. You know, like bullion cubes that my mom, like a lot yeah. of um, immigrant immigrant cooks cook with really basic ingredients that are really flavorsome and, you know, like bone broth. She just made bone broth without thinking this this was an indulgent thing. <laughs> right. But she also used bullion cubes and chicken bullion cubes and, you know, lots of magic products and I don't know, I kind of feel like a part of my journey in life, like being a daughter of Chinese immigrants and growing up in a Western world, kind of felt like I tried to mute a lot of those aspects of my life. And I didn't really want to tell people the things that I was really eating at home. Like, and yeah. now I'm just like, Maggi is like, it's such an amazing product that is used in a lot of countries. I think it actually originated in Switzerland. I, think, I, yeah, I was going right. to say, I first heard about it in Germany. Yes. That was the first yes. time I ever encountered it. Yeah. And there's lots yeah. of different variations of it across the world, depending on, you know, the, the tastes of wherever that they're from. And some are more garlicky, some are more spicy. But anyway, Maggi, I really associated with congee a lot. Mm. But in terms of like changing, like for me, I really try to tailor it to my taste, hence the things like kale chips on the top. Mm -hmm. Hence the, I also have a recipe in there for a carrot salad that goes on the top. So it's, um, yeah, it's not true. People are probably, if you, if you don't, if you, if you hear about this kind of not in the context of reading the rest of the book, I'm sure people will say, oh my God, what is she doing? Like she's like yeah. crazy and just bastardizing this whole dish. But that one is one I, I eat a lot because I love the, the textural element of it, like the freshness on the top which is just going a little bit further than the, the herbs, which is more traditional, sure. right? But the, the textural element is really lovely. But I mm -hmm. think you could almost do kind of anything. I really like the I like some sort of crunch and freshness mm -hmm. for the top. Yeah. I'm a, quite a, a rogue cook sometimes. And, <laughs> you know, I think you could add anything really. Like sometimes I have done like I've dropped an egg into it as it's, as it's ready oh, yeah. and like mm -hmm. cook the egg through it. My mom has savory oats for breakfast every morning because that is her like really super quick way of getting a meal that's kind of like congee, but yeah. she hasn't had the time to make it. And she's like in her 70s and kind of on her own now. So she'll have savory oats for breakfast almost mm -hmm. every morning and she breaks an egg through it mm -hmm. um, for extra protein. So I tend to do that sometimes too. There's a lot of rule breaking <laughs> in my cooking, but I think so much now, so much of like the narrative in food is about authenticity. But what we forget is the people who actually, you know, like my, I'm getting all my authenticity from my mum, but she breaks the same rules. You yeah. know, like she's yeah. also doing things that have evolved the recipes that she cooked for us growing up. So I kind of get my license to do it yeah. from her. I love that. I've definitely had an egg stirred through in in Japan, like in a in a zosui oh, dish, yeah. um, which is not not exactly the same as kanji because the rice isn't quite as fall apart, but yes. very similar. And like usually, an egg will be stirred through, and very good. Oh, that sounds fantastic! You know, I was I wanted to tell you about this one other type of kanji that was my children's first food. It's a steamed kanji. My mom calls it jukje, which kind of translates to like little kanji, like little okay. chuk. Um, uh -huh. And so it's one that's steamed. So she, she will have like chicken, like so, so she'll flavor the chicken and then she'll just put it through the raw, raw rice. And then there's a little container, which I have here with me. It's like a little clay pot and it's steamed for, I don't know how long. I tried to make it recently just with, with shiitake mushrooms because I had a craving for it. And so the rice breaks down, but it's not like, it's not soupy in consistency. Okay. It's like a steamed rice, but slightly almost like pudding-like. So Interesting. Mm. I've never had this. It's really cool. And she only ever made it for when my kids were little. And I definitely remember eating it when I was young. Have you written up the recipe? anywhere. I've never in done it. No, no, never done it. Maybe maybe in the future. But uh, I tried to get the consistency of it right just a few weeks ago when I had a craving for it and it wasn't perfect. I need to ask her again the exact because I used to make okay. it when the, my kids were young. But uh, that's a really kind of fun, different 
developed version of, of what we do call congee, but it's not what anyone would recognize as congee. Excellent. Well, Hetty McKinnon, thank you so much for being on Spilled Milk and uh, teaching us so much. This was really fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. This episode is brought to you by Town Place Suites by Marriott. Whether you're traveling for work, need a place to stay while your home is being remodeled, or maybe you're just enjoying a relaxing week away, well, Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the comforts of home. Yeah, so they've got a full kitchen. Uh, they've got you can borrow appliances like if you want a blender or a slow cooker while you're traveling you can borrow it no charge uh-huh so like you could invite your friends or your coworkers over for like a post meeting drink you can bring your pet Totally allowed. Oh, I love this. Oh, I see. They even have special pet items you can use. And they have the built-in alpha closet system. Nothing makes me happier (laughs) when I am traveling and I have like a place to put away my clothes. Mm -hmm. Molly has seen what happens when I don't have a place to put away my clothes. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody, nobody. Yeah, so like a whole closet system where I can really like unpack for reals. I am down. Well, this is made for you then. And this is Town Place Suites by Marriott. Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the amenities you need to feel at home during your stay. Find the comforts of home at Town Place Suites. Go there with Marriott Bonvoy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Wow, I feel like I learned a lot. Oh, she was fantastic. I would like to listen to her talk about every dish in her book at that length. Yeah, well, I mean, she has her own podcast, which we'll link to in the show notes. So Yes, the house specials. Yes. All right, do we have anything else about, about kanji or jok or okayu to talk about? I don't think I do. I mean, except that now I'm like... I want to experiment more. Like this is yes. this is something that I'm going to like make in in like variations over over the next few weeks. And I don't I'm, care if it's hot out. I'm really curious to try her I think I'm going to try her recipe for leftover rice jook and then I think I will try like a full on, you know, cooking from the raw rice yeah, starting me too. point. And see, I'm curious about how different they might be or maybe not. Anyway, I'm excited. Yeah, I think I didn't realize like um, you know, the the New York food world really like is months or years ahead of us and like yes. I don't think I had any sense that that this was like a trendy food in in the US. Like I knew that there was a there was like a uh, briefly a kanji restaurant that started as a pop-up in Seattle, uh mm. Kraken Kanji. Oh my I, god, yes. Yeah, uh, I think I it closed. I don't know if the, if if it closed like during COVID or just before, but I remember it was in Pioneer Square right. and there was often a, a line outside yeah. at lunchtime. Huh, I didn't realize it was gone. Bummer. Okay, so possibly this is something all of our listeners whether whether they're of East Asian descent or not have uh, have been cooking all along and, and they should be telling us about it. Yeah. Pretty much. In this case, maybe they're just they're not letting us have any like, you know, the reverse. Exactly. It's about time we get a taste. We get we don't get a taste of our own medicine. (laughs) Okay. All right, Matthew, let's move into the old segments. All right. Okay. I got some last minute spilled mail that uh, that I wanted to share. From uh, listener Rochelle. Listening to episode 143, Jarred Spaghetti Sauce. You guys discussed how scary jarred Alfredo sauce is, and I fully agree. It freaks me out. So that being said, could you guys do an episode on it? Wait, on jarred Alfredo sauce? Yes. Oh, oh, I can't believe she's done this to us. This is like... (laughs) It's uh, it's, it's almost my fault for for reading the letter, but... God, she's she's thrown down. We've been served. Yeah, we've been served a jar of sauce, and now... Oh, now we have to eat it. I think, yeah, I think we have to do it. Because, oh, like, I don't know if I've ever had jarred Alfredo sauce. It seems, like, inherently a bad idea, but what if it's good? If I've had it, it would have been in, like, an institutional setting, like my high school cafeteria mm-hmm. or my college cafeteria, that kind of thing. An Olive Garden, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay, listener Rochelle. All right, we'll do it. This All doesn't right. mean that anybody can write in with any idea and, yeah, we'll, guys, and we'll do it. But, no, I mean, ab- but do get in touch with ideas. Don't abuse the privilege. Exactly. 
Matthew, what was the name of um, my quilting segment? <laughs> oh, it was uh, Calling It Quilts. Is it back? So I'm not making a quilt right now. However, <laughs> hold All right, on. end of segment. Hold on. I did just finish my my largest knitting project ever, which was kind of a knitted quilt. I okay. made a log cabin. So a log cabin pattern is like a classic, you know, historical quilt pattern. Can you picture it? Do, a log cabin? It, no. Um, I, no. I'm going to Google it. Okay. Well, anyway, the... Yarn. Oh, I can now. See, the yarn company Pearl Soho, which also, you know, puts a bunch of patterns out into the world. Pearl Soho released a pattern for like a log cabin quilt. So basically you, you know, you make the log cabin pattern using panels of knitting. Okay. Anyway, I tried it not using Pearl Soho's yarn because that was expensive. But anyway... Okay. I just kind of winged it using approximately their pattern and made a like throw blanket. It took me about two months. And that was like, I pretty much only worked on it when we were watching a show on, on Netflix or whatever. Okay. And it's the biggest and most successful knitting project I've done to date. How big is it? Is it like a, like a football field size? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, like a throw blanket. Okay. You know how I've said I really hate following patterns? Well, I didn't measure it. I, I really kind of winged it with the pattern. So I really don't know how big this thing is. But Okay. but And there's no way to find out. And there's no way to find out. It's it's definitely not just sitting <laughs> folded up on my sofa right now. Nope. Okay. Anyway, That's so great. there you go. I'm calling it quilts. What? Uh, are there any other segments that are, that are going to rise from the dead? Uh, Animal Crossing? Been playing any Animal Crossing? Uh, nope, not lately. Nope. I have a, I have a new segment. It's called, What Am I Sitting On? Oh, did you get a cozy life? Comfy life. Oh, comfy life. Right. Comfy yes. life. How oh, is, is that it? the same one you got? Yes, I, I have I a comfy I, life. Yes, I knew you had gotten like the, the horseshoe shaped butt pad. seat cushion, butt pad. And I figured probably the one I ordered was the same one you got since it seemed to be the most popular one. But yeah, I'm living that comfy life. How is it? It's wonder. I'm sitting on it right now and I've never been happier. I feel like it raises me up just the right amount for using my computer at my dining table. Yeah. And it also kind of positions my back better. Yeah, I'm loving it. This is not sponsored content. It's not sponsored content. I put like the little cutout in front at first, and then I read the instructions and learned that that's supposed to go in back, and it was much more comfortable after I started using it the right way. Oh my God, I'm using it the wrong way, Matthew. <gasps> I've been using it the wrong way all of this oh. time. Wait a minute. The horseshoe faces, the horseshoe opens behind me. The horseshoe opens behind you. So that's like, like a little cutout for your tailbone, sort of. What? Oh my I know. God. It doesn't okay. seem like it should be that way. This is amazing. Okay. I, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to switch it around. Yeah. I mean, of course it's your, it's your butt, butt pad. You can use it any way you want. Like okay. no one, no one from the comfy life corporation is going to come and inspect. Okay. Hey, do you have a cute animal I should know about? I do. This was suggested by Burke Beck Cat on Reddit, and it's Fiona the Baby Hippo. And uh, Fiona the Baby Hippo lives at the Cincinnati Zoo. <gasps> oh, my God. Here she comes. She's celebrating her fourth birthday, everybody, and she is about to eat a cake that appears to be made of gelatin and fruit. Yeah. With what looks like eucalyptus leaves around it. Oh yeah, there's God. a lot of there's a lot of videos of Fiona the baby hippo, uh, but I chose this one because like who doesn't <laughs> want to be invited to a hippo's birthday? Oh my God, I love her. Her skin is really beautiful. I bet she I know. uses serums. So shiny. <laughs> and and there's there's gonna be there's gonna be a guest star coming on in a minute. Really? Oh God, she is. Um, it looks like she's kind of gnawing on the pedestal that this cake is on. Yeah, I mean, like my cat will gnaw on on like a cardboard box. <gasps> uh, a chair oh, leg. Here comes another one. Who, yeah. Who's this? Do you know who this is? No, but it's like a bigger hippo. So maybe it's like a like a parent parental hippo unit. Oh my god, I love her big old big old lips, which seem kind of like stiff. Yeah, you know? I like I like Fiona because it seems like Fiona could literally crush you with love. Literally, I mean, aren't hippos like kind of vicious? Yeah, I mean, I think they're very like like protective. They you know they. They act in self-defense, I okay. think. Okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, as, as, uh, as a uh, hippo public defender, <laughs> that's my take. 
Hold on. I'm looking at the comments for Fiona's fourth birthday okay. YouTube. Oh, here's Leaf396 who says, I remember when she learned how to swim. Oh, we should find that video. Okay, next oh, week, Fiona, Fiona the baby hippo learns how to swim. Oh, this is delightful. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Right. Thanks, Matthew. Okay, now, but wow, stuff we're into this week. All right, Matthew, I can't remember. Have you read the book, the, the novel Pachinko? I haven't. Okay. Many, many people close to me have read it. Great. It is by Min Jin Lee, and uh, I have read it. And anyway, she has um, an article that came out in the New York Times in God, about a month ago uh, in early April. It's an essay. The title is A Lifetime of Reading Taught Min Jin Lee How to Write About Her Immigrant World. And I was drawn to read this not only because I loved Pachinko, but I also just I, I love reading people writing about the books that have influenced them, specifically writers writing about the books that have influenced them. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so uh, this is a really wonderful and, and quite moving article in large part about her uncle John and like the, the way in which going to the library basically kind of pulled her whole family up. Okay. Um, it was her uncle John who sponsored her family, Min Jin Lee's family, to immigrate from South Korea. And anyway, the whole essay is kind of a, a love note to education and and to reading, really, and to the the like. Okay. I mean, I'm which... I'm against those things, but maybe this will change my mind. Yeah. Anyway, it's really great. Go check it out. All right, we'll link to it in the show notes. I just put her first book on hold at the library, so I'm excited to read more of her. All right. Check it out. My Now But Wow is a uh, one of those NPR Tiny Desk concerts. Oh, uh, yeah. This is, this is a tiny desk at home, of course, and it is with the band Steady Holiday, which is the product of a singer-songwriter named Dre Babinski, which is one of the best names you can that say. That is a I fantastic think. name. And this is one of the best musical performances I've watched in a long time. Cool. Uh, I had not been familiar with her. I think uh, YouTube maybe just recommended, like, you know, you seem to like indie rock, you'll like this. The songwriting is fantastic. The performance is funny. She keeps adding, like, uh, you know, little little fun twists to the performance and, and allows herself to, like, laugh, you know, at her own jokes while singing the songs, which, I mean, I would never laugh at my own jokes, but it's nice when other people do it. Yeah, you never laugh at your own jokes. I mm -hmm. am Mm -hmm. I am now like obsessed with this record. She has a, a record called uh, Take the Corners Gently. Every song on it is a fucking banger. I just love songwriting more than anything else in the world. And she is so good at it. So check out ah. Steady Holiday, Tiny Desk and uh, and her new album, uh, Take the Corners Gently. Oh, this is awesome. Okay. Well, you can find us where you already found us. Our producer is Abby Circatella, who really has her work cut out for her this week. <sighs> Sorry, Abby. And um, you can, uh, I don't know, jump on the old Spilled Milk Reddit and, and talk to us and to other people. It's reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. You can also uh, jump on a Comfy Life brand uh, butt pad. <laughs> I recommend that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Spilled Milk, the show that doesn't burn your mouth, but it does burn your ears. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Amster-Burton. I'm Molly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we have cameras on. You could see that I was taking a drink of water. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.